Hello and welcome to Chilenial Horrors, the horror movie podcast where we look back at the films we were watching in the 2000s and try to decide how well they stand up today. We've covered Dark Castle remakes, J-horror, slasher remakes and the Final Destination franchise. So it's finally time to start revisiting torture porn. All very excited for that. (laughs) (laughs) This episode we're joined by writer CJ Lines. Hello. To discuss musician turned filmmaker Rob Zombie. So... CJ, tell us about Rob Zombie and your fandom of said Rob. <laughs> <laughs> of said Rob. Um, well, I mean, Rob Zombie, what, what can you say about Rob Zombie? He's uh, a legend. I I first got into his former band, White Zombie, uh, back in the early 90s when they released La Sexisisto, Devil Music, Volume 1. Uh, and that's a great record, but in 1995 uh, they released Astro Creep 2000, which is one of the greatest albums of all time, in my opinion. Uh, absolute masterpiece, years ahead of its time, uh, just an incredible mix of all the stuff that was going on at the time with alternative, industrial, metal, just in this kind of horror-influenced kaleidoscope, uh, which is amazing. Uh, and then of course White Zombie split up, Rob Zombie went solo, got even bigger. Uh, people forget, but he was massive in the late 90s, especially in America, really, really, really big. And uh, obviously his passion was horror films, uh, which you can see in all of his lyrics and uh, aesthetic. So kind of figures that he would go on to actually make one. And uh, obviously Has for Thousand Corpses was the first one. Uh, and since then, he's just been kind of alternating between releasing records and films. Yeah, I have to admit, I have never willingly listened to Rob Zombie or White Zombie. Um, Johnny, how about you? Are you are you a, a White Zombie fan? Uh, not specifically, no. I think like I, I basically know his music from whatever soundtrack they would have been on. So like The Matrix, I think, was one. Uh, so I kind of think I know like Dracula and. Uh, a couple of other ones, that, uh, Living Dead Girl, like uh, like a few of the hits, basically. So when he turned to making movies, I think I was aware, I knew who he was, but I wasn't like a super fan. Or I wasn't really a fan at all. Really, I like yeah, like a few of the songs, but I was like, oh yeah, he's that rock guy who's made who's started making movies. I don't I don't know if I knew anything about him when I saw House for Thousand Corpses. Um, so we should we should yeah start with House for Thousand Corpses. So we are in two thousand three, which is sort of a little bit after a lot of the films we've talked about so far where we're talking about ghost story type things and haunted houses and while the title well it's got house in it but <laughs> it's a bit more um of a of a visceral horror than a ghosty one it was uh, originally a haunted house attraction at universal studios that they asked rob zombie to design uh what? Think, yeah 1999 2000-ish uh, yeah, back when he really was at his commercial peak, and he designed like this whole horror maze haunted house thing, which they ended up renaming uh, American Nightmare. Uh, but they did show an early trailer for House of a Thousand Corpses, uh, like on repeat um, in the in the queue, like on a on a screen. Uh, so people knew about House of a Thousand Corpses for about three years before it actually got released. Uh, because it got held up for for ages, uh, there there was a whole issue with Universal not wanting to release it, and then it got passed around various studios. Eventually, Lionsgate released it, uh, 
but yeah, certainly uh, what you say about haunted houses makes a lot more sense in that uh, you know when he made it, uh, it really was at the, the the peak of that haunted house horror vibe. That's so interesting. Do we know what the the attraction was was like? Was it like um, kind of just like decomposing <laughs> things, or, or, or like is it more ghosty? Exactly what you expect from Rob Zombie: uh, a mix of all of those things, like a very uh, uh, like well, basically Universal Monsters meets Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which uh, is kind of what you get in the film. I was, I was listening to um, a podcast. I think I had listened to it ages ago, but uh, he was on Mick Garris' podcast, and I think I'd forgotten like how, like yeah, like you were saying, CJ the journey from like yeah making it in i think 2000 to universal finally watching it and realizing they never wanted to release it and and then it got sold to mgm i think and then he said uh he made a comment about mgm having no morals which is why they bought it and mgm immediately like they locked him out of the editing suite and said no (laughs) you're gone and then yeah it's like yeah so it, it is fascinating that it was like it feels like it fits neatly into the like splat pack era but is actually like from like predates it by quite a bit as ever rob zombie way ahead of his time (laughs) like really nobody else made a film like this when like ring and all of that stuff was still the uh the trend it's it's incredible it got released at all (laughs) i mean watching it it is yeah it's it's like uh yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty early anyway. We're we're talking like pre saw, pre hostel, even when it finally gets released. Um, I guess at this point we normally kind of talk about the plot. I mean, what is the plot of House of, House of Thousand Corpses? Plot is basically Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's like um, some kids uh, visit the attraction off the side of the road, um, which is as they what are they? They're, they're sort of they're traveling to write a book about roadside attractions. They say, and. Um, and visit this uh, Captain Spaulding's, oh, I've forgotten what it's called, it's Monsters and Mayhem or something like that, which actually is really cool <laughs> and includes a haunted house style ride. Um, and then they leave and get stuck in the mud and end up going to this broken down old house full of nasty people who want to torture them. I mean, that's based, there's not much more to the plot than that. It's one of those like, you know, off the beaten track, get cut up by locals films. In a lot of ways. Mm. But in a lot of ways, it's not. Yes. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, I think we'll come to like how it, how it changes. I mean, did you guys see it in the cinema? I, I, did, I do remember seeing it in the cinema and not enjoying it at all. <laughs> but I don't really... Like, I haven't watched it since between its cinema release and now for this podcast. So uh, my main memory was just that guy going, Dr. Sidan! Um, <laughs> but... I don't know about you whether you had any any other uh, kind of past experience with it. I uh, I didn't see it at the cinema. I think I watched it probably uh, either someone rented it or I watched it on some kind of naughty download uh, with other people. And I'm not sure I ever finished it. I think I either left the room or fell asleep. Um, <laughs> I really, yeah, I didn't like it. It really wasn't for me. And I think I... At some point, I think maybe at uni, like I watched it with someone who wanted to watch it and didn't like it still. And I haven't seen it. So that would have been about 10, 11, 12 years ago. And yeah, so I hadn't seen it since then. It's always been the one I've had in my head is like the really bad Rob Zombie movie. Uh, The one that I I knew I didn't like, the one I thought was crap. And um, it's more interesting than I remember it, but I still don't like it. I still think it's bad. 
Uh, but yeah, so I had like no fond memories of it. I think I might have even forgotten about Dr. Sidon. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that must have been in the trailer or something, because that bit really kind of seared itself into my brain. Well, I mean, I, I saw it on the cinema, and uh, to be honest, at the time, I, I was disappointed. But I think that's just because in my head, the hype was you know, you could not have made a film as good as what I'd imagined it would be because I'd been expecting it for so long. Mm. Uh, Like, you know, even before House of a Thousand Corpses was official, it was always kind of felt like Rob Zombie would make a movie one day and and it would be amazing. Uh, And of course, you know, having had three or four years to prepare for House of a Thousand Corpses, I, I, I mean, the title... What a title. It's incredible, isn't it? And I just thought this is going to be the best movie I've ever seen. So I kind of went in, you know, obviously this is 20 odd years ago. I was a lot younger, uh, (laughs) a lot more optimistic. And I had uh, irrational expectations. So I was a little bit disappointed. And I think it took until I revisited it uh, a few years ago now, Um, you know, in the context of the rest of Rob Zombie's work since in, in film uh, and I loved it and I, I rewatched it again this weekend for this podcast and I absolutely loved it even more. I think what I love most about it is more than I think any of his other films this gets across Rob Zombie and what he is about, what, what he loves, who he is and what has uh, fed his mind. Like they, they always say, your first novel is autobiographical, and I think while obviously Rob Zombie is not a lunatic who kills people and turns them into fish people, uh, this film is like this culmination of everything from his from his childhood up to uh, you know what he was doing with with White Zombie, um, and I think I, I just love that. I think it's such a unique film. Uh, you know, there's not another film like House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah, I, I do think like it is one of those frustrating, and I think that was one of the things I found across like all the ones that aren't maybe Laws of Salem and the Halloween movies. Well, I just I feel like if I liked what he liked, I'd enjoy it more. There's so much yeah stuff in there. Like like you said, it's kind of, you can see that like, everything that he loves is kind of is crammed in there. And I feel like if I I just one that sprung to mind was like Toby Hooper's Funhouse, which is always like a film that I feel like I should like, but I really don't. Mm. Um, and it just feels like I'm not on board for the ride at all. And every now and again, there's something like Walton Goggins. Like I'm like, oh yeah, I love Walton Goggins. And there's like a, a the shot where it's it's a bit where Walton Goggins gets shot. The the cop there's this yeah. great crane up, and it's mm. completely silent for like the first time in the movie. And it's almost like the bit I like in the film is where no one's talking. But um, <laughs> yeah, there's like there's bit odd bits where I'm like, oh, that is like very well done and creative and I think it is such a sort of mad sort of like just throwing everything at you and mm-hmm. I feel like if I was on board with the stuff that he liked more like I like Texas Chainsaw Massacre I think it's brilliant but I also don't like a lot of the films that I like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre I think it, it just it ties in so much with uh the the concepts of what what he was doing with music like if, if you do listen to uh the Astro Creep album uh he kind of creates this uh, adjective uh, of psychoholic uh, which doesn't necessarily have a strict definition but I think sums up 
Rob Zombie's world, uh, and in Astro Creepy just overlays just sample upon sample upon sample, so it's not just, you know, here's a quote from a horror film that pops up, he's using it really uh, creatively uh, to build these, like, walls of sample sounds, and I think he takes a similar approach to filmmaking with, with As for Thousand Corpses, there's a lot of, like, frenetic editing of uh, you know things like the the firefly family talk fly 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 man it's easy to say the the firefly the fire, the firefly family uh talking to the camera uh which is obviously you know impossible in that they're not talking to the camera in any like real context but it evokes things like the Manson family talking to the camera, uh, you know, in interviews with, with them. Uh, and again, it's that taking something that he's seen or heard and, and like regurgitating it, but not just as a, here's a reference, but, but you know, as this building block almost for, for just putting one thing on top of another, on top of another, on top of another, until you just have this like... Explosion of of uh, you know undiluted Rob Zombie, which, which is very <laughs> industrial. You know, it comes from <laughs> that uh, that scene. You know, he comes from industrial music and the New York no wave scene, and you can see all of that. It's almost like William Burroughs cut up techniques at times. It's so like abstract and uh, just out there. And, and I think he gets he get he accomplishes that so much better in this film than than some of the later ones. Yeah, there's definitely tons of stuff in there as well. Like the obvious obvious touch point is Texas Chainsaw Massacre, kind of like for the overall film. But he is packing in uh, basically everything for as long as horror has existed. Hmm. I mean, the fact that his band is called White Zombie and that's referencing a film from what is it like the 20s or 30s yeah i can't remember what date it is but yeah but like it's not just like he's just into the 70s it's like he's always going to get um actually i'm worried now i'm mashing films together but i'm sure they're watching house of frankenstein in one of them there's lots of like other old kind of black and white classics shoved in there as well there's all sorts of stuff again which yeah i feel like i should love it and i do like things about this film i, I really do like that kind of ghost train ride um and all the neon and all the zaniness mm. at the beginning i think i like the bit that's kind of um maybe i would have preferred it if we just stayed at captain spaulding's like museum of monsters or whatever it's called rather than having to go to the horrible house mm. <laughs> let's just stay with all the neon and monsters and then all the kind of um freak show stuff yeah i agree I, i've i've kind of was slightly it was more with it than I thought I was going to be for all the Captain Spaulding stuff and then as soon as I get to the Five Lighthouse I'm like ah yeah like Sherry Moon is good in other Rob Zombie films not good uh, oh, I don't know whether it's not good or just I hate the performance that she's been told to give uh, uh, and like and Bill Mosey as well like just pisses uh, everyone and I know that's kind of the point of it that it's kind of cranked up to the piss you off degree yeah what I think of as Rob Zombie dialogue is right there from the start. And I think like, it gets more refined as it goes on. Like kind of in Devil's Rejects, it feels like he's kind of got more of an idea of what how people talk in his movies. Um, and this one, it feels a bit more all over the place. Um, but I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a problem. Like, I couldn't kind of like, there's, there's elements in, especially, actually, I think House of a Thousand Corpses is, is possibly, maybe not my least favourite, but I really don't like it. And I don't think it's good. But there's more interesting, like, 
there's more ideas in it than I think there are in like Devil's Rejects, mm. which feels more uh, controlled and uh, more competent. In a way. Like it feels like more like a I'm making a film like like in this style, um, and he's got a hand on it. But I think it seems like it has fewer ideas. Whereas House of a Thousand Corpses is at least kind of fizzing with yeah fizzing with stuff and fizzing with ideas. I do agree that he made more of a like straightforward and accessible film with The Devil's Rejects. Uh, but I think what I love about House of a Thousand Corpses is that feeling that he almost can't believe that he's been given the money to do this and he's just going <laughs> to... Yeah, yeah, I think you know, He might not make another film again, so he's just going to go for broke. Um, and I, I think, you know, for me, that's what makes it really exciting. And it also, weirdly, I was saying to Sarah when we rewatched it, something that I'd not thought of before is how much it reminds me of what Ryan Murphy does with American Horror Story uh, yeah. which is that whole like kitchen sink approach of everything that has gone into Ryan Murphy's head uh, be it like you know serial killers and horror movies and monsters and, and everything else and he's just like spewed it out uh, whereas I think Ryan Murphy's vibe is that he loves like the beautiful people uh, and he kind of distorts that with American Horror Story, whereas Rob Zombie's thing is he loves the ugly people. He 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 wants like the trashiest, like he wants to be down in the gutter with the with the trashiest people. But they they're just like opposite ends of the same kind of horror kaleidoscope. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think if there is anything that is like House of a Thousand Corpses, it probably is American Horror Story. That's so true. I hadn't really thought. Yeah, I hadn't made that connection at all. But I think that's bang on. Yeah, and I think also I. With the exception of, I think the second season of American Horror Story is brilliant. But apart from, like, I quite like the first and third ones, but it really got yeah. on my nerves. I love the later ones. I am, I am all in for like Hotel and Roanoke and actually, yeah, no, because I don't like Apocalypse anyway. But um, <laughs> yes, but it's a similar thing of just yeah, chucking in everything, like you say, ser- serial killers and and all the rest of it. I think I feel like uh, Rob Zombie kind of narrows things down a bit into maybe more than Ryan Murphy in a way like he's he obviously like Charles Manson is a recurring thing he's he's everywhere in Rob Zombie stuff but yeah right I think we will get onto Devil's Rejects in a moment but I think the last thing that I want to say about House of a Thousand Corpses is that it kind of almost is like a thesis statement for what Rob Zombie's um film work is going to do and that it does have that kind of um sympathy switch so right you know normally in these narratives you're with the kids that are going to the bad place and kind of willing them to get away and, and wanting them to survive and stuff. It very much feels here like Rob Zombie is with the, the fireflies. You know, from starting off in the museum where there's an attempted robbery. So we're on the side of Captain Spaulding as these guys come in to try and rob him. Like, that immediately kind of puts us with him. Even though he's going to turn out to be very much not a good person. It's, it's I think it's odd. I think it's I think Rob Zombie kind of has this desire to kind of center the outsider and to be sympathetic to those characters, even though they're quite often still murdering psychopaths, which is kind of an interesting take. I'm not sure it entirely lands for me ever, but I can kind of see that he's trying to do something a bit interesting there. I think there's a, there's an element of that in the um, obviously that. It can be traced back to Universal Monsters and your like you know Frankenstein character where the monster yeah. is the the sympathetic one, 
Um, but I grant you that Rob Zombie's monsters are a lot nastier. You know, they, they are yes. genuinely horrible people. But I think there are moments of uh, almost clever awareness of that. Like, uh, you, you know already that one of the things I love most about It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia uh, is when a character who's not part of their gang is exposed to to what they do and and you suddenly realize just how debauched they are like you know when they go to visit a lawyer and the lawyer is just horrified but you know you're in their their world so all those terrible things that they do you you sort of get used to over the course of the series uh but it's just those little moments of lucidity that can be so funny and it's always sunny in philadelphia and i think rob zombie does the same thing but not for comic effect but for horror uh, in House of a Thousand Corpses with just that one scene where, uh, you know, as Jonathan mentioned before, the, the scene where they find the the murder barn uh, and the father, like, throws open the doors, sees his daughter chained up, corpses everywhere, just this absolute hellscape. And then it does, like, fade to silence and that crane shot as the Goggins character's shot in the head. And, and it's just horrible it's like it's like until that point mm. you have been watching this sort of cartoonish monster movie and then i think for me that's the moment where you kind of realize just how horrible it is um and obviously yes it goes back to to being absurd and and cartoonish violence after that but i do think that seems really important because it it just gives you that like a horrible moment of humanity where you just realize how how disgusting all of this actually is. Uh, I think it makes the film a lot more impactful. I don't think I ever lost sight of that. Um, yeah. But especially because, I mean, I think House of a Thousand Corpses is probably the least uh, offensive of these, but there's a real kind of thread of unpleasant misogyny throughout a lot of these films. Um, and that doesn't ever... Like, I can never enjoy the monstrousness because i'm very, always very aware of this kind of gendered mm. threat as well i agree totally on on the other two that, that we're talking about um not not so much with the thousand corpses but yeah yeah i i think that it's not as not as present here but there's definitely uh little hints yeah, of it yeah for sure i agree i think i, I can't just have i think I, I never can get on board with those characters i think like and i never in, like even enjoy spending i think with the possible exception of some of the Captain Spaulding scenes before, like it all kicks off, I think you never really, I never really enjoy any of their company, no. even like a little bit. And I think that's partly because I'm not into that kind of, I'm not into that kind of movie, like where they've, where those characters feel like they've kind of come from. From Dust Towards Dawn was another thing that kind of popped into my head when watching like that kind of the opening switch, and I think Tarant like talking about the kind of inf- like the horror movie influences, it does feel like Tarantino is a big influence on Rob Zombie and a lot of. His like hang- love of hangout, and I think obviously that that will kind of come out a lot later in a lot mm. of his later movies. The kind of hangout vibe, yeah. Um, where he just likes these people talking. Yes, yes, but yeah, I mean, Rob Zombie doesn't write Tarantino dialogue, and I'm I'm not a Tarantino fan. But... <laughs> no, but I think I, I was really struck by it in how, like, Devil's Rejects actually, and I think remembering, uh, yeah, kind of going to it a bit later, that kind of went that like, grindhouse, like he was a part of that kind of ish, like a little bit. That I think like we we're talking about like with like him just feeling completely separate from. Uh, everything else is going on horror at the time. He's he has always felt like someone who's apart from kind of yeah, like like Sujo was saying earlier. Like he's kind of he's very distinct. He's very like not part of any movement. That that was exactly what he was with White Zombie. I mean, you know, they got 
popular through having a cult following and you know building that up over a long time like white zombie were going in the the 80s and nobody cared um and you know just kept at it but they don't fit into anything really i think the, the closest is probably the the industrial scene of the time but i think you know even there they were they were outside because they had this kind of groove thing going on and the the metal thing but they didn't fit into metal at the time at all um you know they didn't fit into grunge or alternative or any of that and he, he's always just been kind of hovering around things that are popular but but not quite there it's with the grindhouse thing uh i feel like yeah neo grindhouse was about to become a thing uh, in a big way a few years after this but I felt like so many of those films completely missed the point of Grindhouse. Like, they were looking at it as a means of taking the piss, of, of going, oh, you know, remember when acting was really ropey and it was yeah. just tits? And, uh, whereas I think Rob Zombie was coming from Grindhouse, uh, you know, at a totally different level. Like, I think he really feels like Grindhouse films were his, like, heart and soul. That That was where he found himself. Uh, as a kid and he said when he made House of a Thousand Corpses what he wanted was that feeling that he used to get when he'd go to a drive-in and he would see in his words weird movies by weird people for weird people uh, and, th- and that is 100% what House of a Thousand Corpses is it's a weird movie by weird people for weird people uh, and, and he's, I think he's always going to be an outsider because that's that's in his soul it's interesting that with like Devil's Rejects feels like it came out um, like as part of a movement because like House of Thousand Corpses comes out uh, in two thousand and three when it's not re- like it's starting to see more kind of gory stuff but not really and then Devil's Rejects comes out in two thousand and five and all of the discussion around it is now kind of was part of this movement so I think Wolf Creek and The Hills of Eyes remake I think possibly yeah, yeah, yeah. at about the same time and it does feel like. I'm sure, like, completely unintentionally, but, like, it suddenly feels like, oh, this is part of something. What's interesting about that is that because Rob Zombie had made House for Thousand Corpses, he said he didn't really have much interest in doing another horror film at the time. Uh, and in his mind, Devil's Rejects is not a horror film, it's a postmodern western. Okay, we're into Devil's Rejects, <laughs> as much as I don't want to talk about this film. Okay, um, so yes, 2005, The Devil's Rejects. It opens with a kind of shootout at the Firefly house um, in which Mama Firefly is captured and I think, t- does Tiny die? Yeah. Um, and the other three go on the run and then this is The Devil's Rejects is is uh, Captain Spaulding, Baby and... Otis. Uh, Otis. I just went completely blank then. <laughs> Sorry, Bill Mosley. Um, yeah, <laughs> just just going on the run and uh, torturing people in motels and being generally fucking horrible. There is one scene in this movie that I like, <laughs> and it is when Ooh. near the end. <laughs> <laughs> it's near the end where um, they're on the run and uh, Spalding and Baby make Otis pull over so they can get ice cream. <laughs> oh yeah, that is a good scene. Just one moment of like, just this little like childlike bit of delight, but the rest of the movie is just a grinding misery and I'd never seen it before until I saw it for this podcast, but I had this memory that everybody kept saying that this was the good one, um, that it was much better than House of Thousand Corpses, and if I didn't like that one, I ought to watch this one. Um, And I don't like any of those people. (laughs) (laughs) It did get taken, like, way more seriously. I remember the reviews at the time being like, 
oh okay this is a like this is a good horror film this is like throwback to 70s 80s kind of classic uh endurance horror movies um and yeah like from very reputable kind of critics got like very solid reviews it's bizarre Um, and it's weird yeah watching it again because i remember at the time thinking like oh yeah well it is better than house of a thousand corpses i didn't really like it but i think that's because i didn't really like kind of yeah it's again like it's not really my kind of throwback it's not throwing back to anything i have particularly fond memories of but i had it in my head like oh well it is better like it's that's like the solid one of these films i don't like and watching again i was like i think like i said it before like it feels more controlled and more competent but actually yeah i don't know whether i like it any better than house of a thousand corpses i'd say i like it significantly less um i think probably because it has that western vibe and it doesn't have the neon fun house which i like the aesthetic of uh instead there's just a lot more a lot more like um sexualized violence basically right from Mm -hmm. the beginning where you're just watching a man dragging a naked dead girl through the woods for an uncomfortably long time it just goes it just it just grinds you down this film is too long um and Mm. you could easily make it under 90 minutes if you just kind of cut down all the scenes of i mean i guess it's the point is that it wants you to endure that but it's like (sighs) i don't want to rob zombie (laughs) it's not fun (laughs) i think it's an interesting experiment for Rob Zombie. I I I can see why it was more acclaimed in the it's it's a lot easier for people to connect with a a more straightforward film like like this than it is House for Thousand Corpses, which I think is is a a more uh, niche kind of movie. Um, but then his influences for this are completely different. I th- I think he you know as I say he was aiming to to make this kind of western-like movie um and he clearly you know you've said already charles manson was a was a big thing for for him and you can see that in the the otis character but also uh this specifically is like the charles starkweather murders which had already been made into badlands uh, and badlands is such an influence on this uh and, and so is uh, bonnie and clyde yeah especially the ending which is is very very bonnie and clyde and i feel like zombie is aiming a lot higher with the devil's rejects because he's looking at movies like the wild bunch badlands bonnie and clyde and he's saying yeah i'm gonna do that and he's obviously done his homework and he can direct a film like he's a technically very competent director i think and that really shows Mm. in the devil's rejects i think he's so in control of the aesthetic the the editing the soundtrack i I think soundtrack's amazing yeah, yeah it's it's a real accomplishment in that sense but i don't like it <laughs> I I have to admit because I'm, I'm not a big fan of, of westerns either uh, and I think you know the, the plot here is a classic western plot you know you begin with the, the shootout then you've got the sheriff on the trail of the outlaws um, but I think by making the outlaws these psychotic misogynists uh, you know well I'm all for anti-heroes and I, I do like the idea of a world where everyone is rotten like the police are rotten in this the, the bounty hunters that come in are, are rotten everybody's rotten but it just never never works because there's never a, a character they all feel like rob zombie and it's kind yeah. of like you've got three rob zombies being chased by a band of rob zombies <laughs> and that, and then they hire two more rob zombies to chase rob zombie and it's like whoa hang on i i can't deal with this and i i, I feel like 
there are flashes of where it could have been a much more human film like you know that scene that sarah mentioned with the ice cream is great i i would have liked more of that because that levity makes it more real yeah like it is relentlessly grim but that grimness just become you become numb to it after a while because it's like you can't yeah, certainly after the the hotel scene, it's like you you can't really take this much further in a in a, a mainstream film. Not even in two thousand and five, and I I don't really want him to take it any further. <laughs> no. and, and it and it's like that you know that's that's where that's that's where the film is like okay, this is this is as down in the dirt as we're gonna get. And yet there's still like an hour and a half of more. Like, yeah, they keep going back to the hotel. <laughs> yeah, I think like. Because t- obviously this film, you know, it kind of cuts the the band of baddies down to the core three, and I think like they look very iconic. Like there's mm-hmm. they're very recognisable kind of silhouettes, yeah. um, but I just feel like they're not really characters. Like if I'm trying to describe what any, I mean, I, I feel like we've been just sort of throwing names about, so we should maybe talk about the the characters a little bit more. But you've got. Um, Otis, who's Bill Mosley, and in the first one feels like he's a Texas Chainsaw cutout, and then this one he's uh, he's Manson or, or or what's who's the guy you said, Craig? Charles Starkweather. Yeah, he's, he's sort of a cross between the two in this. Yeah, so he's just the kind of like de facto leader, the most seemingly sane but the most dangerous one, I guess. Um, and then yeah, Spalding, who's this clown who just uh, it can seem quite friendly at first and, and erupts into violence very quickly, played by Sid Haig. And um, I feel like he's probably the one who's the the has the most depth as a character. Weirdly, mm. <laughs> this is the guy who's dressed as a clown, like he's the one I feel like has the most humanity maybe like i almost believe that there's a person in there because he has the most dialogue yeah because you see him in his downtime yeah yeah exactly yeah that the, he talks he has conversations with people that aren't just threats and yeah I, he doesn't kill sure everyone otis he meets even yeah. does that like even when otis is talking to baby and spalding i'm not sure there's a single line where he's not threatening someone like and and I think you need something to offset that yeah because otherwise it just becomes exhausting. And then we mm-hmm. have baby. Um, <laughs> how do we talk about baby? Sherry Moon Zombie as Baby Firefly. I think there's there's something that could have been really really interesting with her because she's usually the one who, um, you know, she's this pretty skinny blonde and she is very attractive to to the men that she meets and she's often used as the lure or she is there to kind of reassure people like yeah come on in everything's fine and they sort of look at this beautiful woman and and they think yep great we'll trust her um but then obviously she's just as psychotic and threatening and scary as as the others um and she has this really like unhinged sexuality like there's a part in this film where she's just doing a racist lap dance almost in the hotel room um just spontaneously for no apparent reason and it just goes on and on it's a long scene (laughs) yeah that is quite a disturbing scene though it it is but this is what i mean is that i i would i want to believe that this i want to see some humanity in that character and i kind of don't i just kind of see that Rob Zombie thinks it's super cool that his hot wife is murdering people. Like that's that seems to be what that character is. Like who is she? Mm. What does she want? I don't know. She's not any. There's. 
I don't know. Maybe again, it's the lack of conversation. Like, who, I don't know what she's about. I think that's why she works better for me as a character in House of a Thousand Corpses because they're monsters in that. Like, he he tones down the visual grotesquery in this. In the you know, he, like Mama Firefly fixes her teeth in this. Obviously, changes actress, but also like you know, she doesn't have the like uh, monster teeth that Karen Black had in the the first film. Uh, and Otis now looks like you know he's actually quite handsome in this in a in a way. Whereas in the first one they'd like shaved his hair back and he was very pallid and had the chop top look. And I think in taking away that like monsterness of them, uh, he's he's not adjusted their personalities to match that. So while we can't fully accept them as like movie monsters, we also can't fully accept them as humans, and they they kind of fall somewhere in between in the Devil's Rejects, and they they're just you know as you say very iconic, but just like visual ciphers. Yeah, it's, it's, there's there's a sort of uh, visual iconography, but like what what do they stand for? Well, just just murdering people like there's nothing there's just no depth to it it's just really like empty and I found that I was just really bored through a lot of this film because I just I just didn't care like there was no urgency to any of it yeah they set up a whole ticking clock thing that they need to beat the get to a certain point to beat the sheriff's thing but yeah like there's no like to say all different like whenever whenever these whenever one of these characters goes off with someone or takes off it could be any of them I just feel like, yeah, do we need, like, three of these characters? Wouldn't one be fine? Like, I'd be fine with Captain Spaulding being like, that would be scarier. Even though there's not characterization for them, the three central performances are, are brilliant, I think. I think, uh, you yeah, know, they all really give it some. They commit to it, but I just don't know what they're committing to. But I, I, I think, I don't know, I, I think I love the, the, the acting that Rob Zombie gets out of people um, because it does have that... It does have that Texas Chainsaw Massacre intensity where, you know, I mean, especially this film is very sweaty and very, like, gritty, you know, and you, and you do you do feel that, which, considering what a limited script I think this has, I think it's impressive that he, that he wrenches as much as he does out of it just through like force really and and the three the three leads really contribute to that i think i think they all like play it extremely well it's a lot of shouting though isn't it it's just a lot of shouting yeah i like sid haig in it but i think yeah is it the writing or is it sid haig that makes that character feel more real i don't know i don't know i think i think what confuses me sometimes about rob zombie is that like he gets amazing cast of supporting character actors like a yeah um Tom Tolles is great in House of Thousand Corpses. I really like William Forsyth in this. I think he's he plays that sort of... William Forsyth plays the uh, Sheriff Wydell, who's the brother of the Sheriff Wydell who gets killed in House of a Thousand Corpses. And he's on this kind of biblical crusade to hunt down the Firefly family. I definitely said Firefly family wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's he, he does have that sort of... Uh, terrifying intensity but it also is a bit funny but very like also scary and completely unhinged and there's like quite a few like ken, ken forries in it but then i think the problem is that a lot of them it happens in all his films i think that they all he packs his cast full of really great b-movie actors or character actors and then has them all kind of do the same sort of thing 
to get like Michael Berryman to get angry about being told yeah. he's going to have sex with a chicken. And like, it's just, like, that could be any kind of B movie character. Well, it could be of... any of these characters. Yeah, <laughs> is, yeah. yeah. I yeah, yeah. Uh, use of character actors because it ties in with his love of, of you know, monsters and outsiders. And I think it, it's fitting that he puts character actors in. But yeah, I, I think this film in particular is, is a little overstuffed with them. And I think it's, it's interesting what you say about William Forsyth in the. Yeah, it is a really intense performance, and I wish they'd done more with the religious aspects in this. Um, because again, you know, the the, yeah. the thing that he's channeling in in this is the the deep south, uh, which is intrinsically tied to religion and often <laughs> religious violence. And I, I I think you know pitting those two sides against each other, that sort of really intense Christianity and that like you know arch evil of the fireflies uh could have been really interesting and intense but he he just touches on it and again it, it's just all yeah because there's a little elvis stuff as well and like his dead brother that yeah you're right there's definitely the the christianity thing could have been really interesting but it's too much like yeah. rammed into that character i guess definitely. um it's a shame i think devil's rejects has the potential to be a great film but just doesn't get there for me and so Halloween 2007. <laughs> so we left this one out of our slasher remake uh, episode, but here it is. <laughs> partly because we had in mind that we would do a Rob Zombie episode at some point, and partly because uh, no one wants to watch this film ever. <laughs> I, I I will defend some of Halloween. <laughs> okay, I will look forward to that. Um, so okay, so this so this is a remake of of Halloween and. It's sort of a fairly straightforward one in a lot of ways. He, um, the main difference I think in Rob Zombie's Halloween is that he drags out the um, sort of setup, the the Mike Michael Myers backstory to almost forty minutes, um, which is a lot. <laughs> uh, and and then and then it's it's yeah, it's just a. I don't know. It is just just Halloween, but with Rob Zombie characters, so everyone's just horrible and shouting at each other the whole time. Jonathan's going to yeah. contradict me. Go on. <laughs> Defend this No, stuff. no, I think that's... Uh, I hadn't seen it for a few years. I have seen it quite a few times. And I had, like, it's... I think it's my favourite Rob Zombie film. Although now, every time I watch Lords of Salem, I like yes, it a bit more. So we're talking Lords of Salem greatest film of the 21st century, Lords of Salem. <laughs> <laughs> I think I like Rob Zombie best when he's being controlled. When he's been... When his freedom of expression has been forced into very strict parameters... <laughs> And he's got only got a little bit of wiggle room. And I think what annoys me about Halloween, especially here in the UK, is that there's only the director's cut available, which is, I like, a lot less than the theatrical cut. There's the theatrical cut has, I think, less sexual assault. Yeah, Michael gets out in a completely different way. Like, it's a prison transfer gone wrong, I think, in the theatrical cut. And then in the director's cut, it's not two inmates are rape uh, sorry two guards are raping an inmate aren't they in the, yes yeah. yeah in michael's room which, which um, i agree is a dreadful scene and should, it's a should horrible choice made. yeah i get confused with films like halloween because they cast my malcolm mcdowell as dr loomis and then i'm sort of like yes five stars um, <laughs> and uh, yeah i love i love malcolm mcdowell in this and like brad dura for sheriff bracket i know i just made that point about how he gets amazing character actors to play the same characters but uh, I do think Halloween at least has, I don't know, maybe it's because I like the story of Halloween, but I do think it's 
I just get on with it more. If it feels more, I, I feel more at home in the world of Halloween. I, I like those references more, and it is like still watching it again. Like for this, I was like, oh, actually, this is nastier and meaner than I remember it being. But um, I think I still definitely prefer it to the others we're talking about. I think for me, I, I feel the opposite. In that, uh, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, but I feel differently in that I want undiluted Rob Zombie, I want him you know, at, at the max and, and this is to me the least Rob Zombie film that, that he's ever made uh, I think he's hamstrung a little by the fact that it's a remake and the fact that it's a, a reasonably big studio picture uh, and I think judging from the number of cuts that exist and the differences between them it feels like he perhaps was never happy with it uh, and it just doesn't just doesn't land for me I think the first 40 minutes where he's trying to set up the Michael Myers origin story falls into all the traps of an origin story it's like hey you know he wears a mask this is why <laughs> uh, and it's like I don't care he, he wears a mask I'm fine with that That's I don't need the, the whole like backstory I feel like you know Carpenter in the original sets up Michael Myers as a character in that like first scene, the POV scene, which is a stunning piece of filmmaking, lasts mm. for what, three minutes? Uh, and that's it. That's all you need to know about Michael Myers' childhood. It tells you pretty much all the same things that, that Rob Zombie's version takes 40 minutes to, to tell. Uh, and then the payoff for those 40 minutes is a remake of Halloween with some prolonged torture. There's not, there's not really anything more to it, and it's such a shame because there's some really interesting ideas, like just scattered in there. I love the Loomis character that Rob Zombie mm -hmm. makes, yeah. so much more interesting than the original Loomis. You know, God, God bless Donald Pleasance, but I feel like this, like narcissistic idiot doctor who just wants to be famous for writing books mm. about this serial killer and kind of creates the monster uh, there's just this wonderful relationship between him and michael that should have been the center of this story yeah um and i feel like uh, yeah, i don't want to talk too much about halloween 2 because we're, we're, we're not um but i feel like if you watch halloween 2 you sort of get a closer idea of what I think Rob Zombie wanted to do with Halloween, uh, where he's turned Laurie Strode into his typical Sherry Moon zombie style character, even though it's Scatso the Compton, you know, <laughs> they dress her as Sherry Moon. Uh, you know, she's got dreadlocks, she's a rocker chick in, in the second one. And it just feels like he's really uncomfortable with the, the victim characters in this one, yeah. because they are the clean cut john carpenter babysitters and he doesn't know what to do with them except strip them and beat them senseless <laughs> i think that's the case all the way through like look at house of thousand corpses and his dead cheerleaders like does any of them even get a single line of dialogue i don't think so yeah one of them spells out baby oh yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs> i think yeah the, the the misogyny really does feel i i personally don't believe rob zombie is a misogynist but i do feel like halloween feels like a very misogynist film i, I mean think. yeah if for, for a non non-misogynist human he don't have to make some misogynist films uh yeah i mean ha halloween very much so Be because it doesn't have anything to to justify or offset it and i think it's really uncomfortable the scene with daniel harris in particular because yeah you know she's famous for being a child actress who kills michael myers in halloween five 
uh, and here she is topless and being beaten by Michael Myers and it just feels really sleazy like really like oh that's not cool Rob Zombie um, I don't know this this whole film kind of feels like he was having a, a difficult moment and I don't know if that's because uh, the whole like Neo Grindhouse thing was, was big at the time and he was being given a lot of money to do a major remake and you know there was so much uh, like press about the whole like torture porn movement and maybe he didn't really feel like comfortable fitting in with this and just I don't know shit the bed with with this one I, I feel it just really uh, I, I don't know I, I think it's his worst film personally it's interesting with the violence like I think it does feel like a lazy choice in this where it feels like oh that's how you make a sl- like a 70s slasher movie in this era where like it's a lot more violent people expect an arsiness like so we'll just have the same kills but like, mm. a lot harder yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's not even gorier is it it's just longer and yeah. nuder yeah it's just <laughs> meaner it, it feels longer yeah. meaner, nuder. I think like things like the D Wallace kind of like death goes on for ages um, but I think it's interesting what you're saying about that I was listening to that podcast with Mick Garris where he's talk, uh, Rob Zombie was saying that he'd um, pitched them two movies originally where the the it was going to be the, basically the reason why it feels like two films is because that was the original idea was it's going to be like the young Michael Myers before he turns and it would end when he got sent to the sanitarium. And then uh, the second one would be sort of adult Michael Myers. But I think there's stuff in it that I do really... I do, yeah, like you were saying, Sarah, I think I love Dr. Loomis and this. And I think the dialogues, uh, some of it's awful, but I think, like, some of it really works for me. I think, yeah, the relationship between Loomis and Michael, and I think uh, it's Sherry Moon's really good in it, I think. I think she's great as Michael's mum. And, yeah, like Dee Wallace and... But it's this is what you could have had. It's, it's like I love some of the stuff <laughs> in this. Like you say, Sherry Moon, great. You know that that's a really interesting character that is not explored that much. Loomis, yeah. Loomis in part two is even better, and you just get these like flashes of incredibly funny black comedy with with Loomis and McDowell's amazing. And I just I saw oh, it's like why didn't you make this film? And even some of the stuff that he does in the second one with Laurie being connected to Michael and, you know, even that's more interesting than than all the stuff that he just lifts straight from Halloween in this movie. It's weird, the bits that he keeps, isn't it? Like, keeping the, the bit with the boyfriend with the sheet over his head. Like... Yeah. And, and, and I don't know, I just feel like, like the casting of Scary Michael is ridiculous. Like, what was that... What was that... Uh, like mental hospital doing letting him get that yeah. hench <laughs> I think by, by, by the time the, the guy who's you know racked up a body count before he's like 13 uh, and he grows up to be 7 foot you'd just be like yeah maybe let's just like, take, take away his out. gym equipment <laughs> yeah. if, if the murderer if the incredibly yeah. competent murderer is getting to this size and this muscle mass then we need to do something we need to reduce the amount of protein in his slot yeah no more chicken yeah. I mean, literally. I, I mean, yeah. I guess that's a good point. He's, he has to be eating like the Rock, like twelve cod a day or something. Maybe it's no one it's noticed. It's so silly. Have you noticed that he's seven foot tall but, now. But, but, that, but that's what you get trying to shoehorn one story into another because obviously Michael Myers in John Carpenter's world is this like near supernatural being, and as the films go on, he becomes a supernatural being, and that's why he you know, moves very slowly. Is just this hulking mass with a blank 
mask expression uh, because it works in the context of a force of nature. It does not work when you try to explain it. And that's what I hate about most origin stories. It just doesn't work the more you try to explain it. Like that fucking bit in the Solo movie where they they explain why his name is Han Solo. It's like, oh, you're on your own. Well, I guess that makes you Han Solo. And it's like, that is one of the worst things. Yeah, it's awful. I've forgotten it's about like, that. We don't care. Han Solo's a really cool name. Just leave it at that. It's a space name. It's fine. We don't need an explanation as to why he's called it. And it's the same with, with almost every origin story. Uh, this this one just, you know, just makes it awkward. It makes you question... I think it's something to do with this kind of very internet-y film criticism. That kind of YouTube cinema sins thing where it's like every detail has to be explained. Yeah. Like it it just it 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 sort of hurts the engagement because a lot of times what draws you into a film is being given sort of enough information that you understand what's happening and you fill in the blanks in your head. Um, but trying to be told, oh, well, you see, Michael Myers, yeah, well, they stole his lunchbox, that's why he's a murderer. And you're like, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. But I, th- I think, you know, I, I don't want to just pick on Star Wars, but obviously Star Wars kind of has the, uh, probably the deepest association with that kind of criticism. Uh, and they made a whole bloody movie. Like, Rogue One was literally... Oh, this thing about the the Death Star that somebody noticed. Um, why don't we do a whole backstory for why they got in the Death Star? It's like I don't, uh, no one cares. No one cares. <laughs> That's not. It's not relevant. And I, I, you know, for me, Rob Zombie is is the opposite of that. He's all feeling. You, you know, that's what I love about House of a Thousand Corpses. It doesn't overexplain because it doesn't need to. It's just, it's just impacts. It's just like here you go. Here's all this shit. Just take it. Uh, and Halloween feels just uncomfortably unzombie to me. It, it feels like he's doing all the things that uh, aren't what I like about him. I think that may be why I like it more than <laughs> a lot of his other ones. I think it because it does have, I think because it does have characters that I care about. Like I just remembered like Danny Trejo in it, and I think that's it's such a sweet performance from him as like mm. a um, a kindly orderly, who obviously and uh, and that's how you know it's a Rob Zombie film because he introduces characters that you like and then he horribly murders them. Maybe it is. I think there's something interesting about it in retrospect where it does still feel like a Rob Zombie film to me, and more than like I think a lot of remakes of that era like it feels like it still belongs in the discussion of Rob Zombie movies and like you can tell it's him I think maybe because of the way the people talk and maybe because of the way that people get murdered and maybe because of the cinematography which is good in this movie I, th- I like the look of it but it's like even though it does feel like diluted Rob Zombie it's still like you can tell it's him it does kind of feel like you do one like because I know that he had a bad time making it and then that's why he didn't want to do two for ages like you do kind of wonder, like, did they? Why did they hire think, Rob Zombie for this? They, they pitched it to him, uh, you know, do a Halloween remake, and then I just think it went back and forth a lot of like what he was going to do, how he was going to do it, and I, I think I don't know. I mean, I you know, can't speak for him, but it, it, I, I feel when I watch it that I can feel that frustration of not being able to quite do what he wants, and it's it's a compromise movie. Uh, I think Halloween 2 is closer to what I feel he wanted to do with Halloween. It's definitely a much more Rob Zombie movie. Uh, And what's interesting about Halloween 2 is it does start to 
connect what he was doing with these early like torture films uh, to what he would do next with Lords of Salem. Like there's that kind of abstract, surreal, gothic imagery that he brings into Halloween too, with the the white horse and and such. Uh, that I think you know shows the direction that he wanted to go in, um, and which you know was absolutely the the right direction because Lords of Salem is a masterpiece. I do. It's it's interesting. This, uh, yeah, that he didn't want to do it, and then it, he did it because uh, it took so long for that for Mira, for Dimension to find another director for it that he eventually forgot how bad a time he had on the first Halloween, wow. and then said, "Oh, if you haven't found anyone yet, I'll do it." Because um, he he liked the characters and was like, "I don't really want anyone else messing with them." It's strange though because he changes all of them. Yeah, <laughs> I do. Because you were talking about how you preferred Loomis in the second one. I prefer him in the first one because he's still. I still feel like he cares about Michael, and that feels important. I think Michael McDowell is really fun in the second one, with his shouting for PG tips, sizzling hot. Yeah. Um. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you you need both sides. I think you need the the caring Loomis from the early footage, but then he kind of becomes a monster himself. And I think for me, that central like two men becoming monsters in different ways uh there's an interesting psychological conflict there that i think is never really explored yeah. as much as it should be yeah i feel like i'd watch a film that was just sat in that room it was just just loomis talking to michael over a period of like 10 years slowly yeah. getting more and more hench <laughs> but just sitting there in silence while while I, while loomis kind of projects all this stuff onto him and does all this talking like, i'd watch that movie I, I love that the play rob zombie's halloween the missing year play Here's the pitch. Call, somebody call rob let's you can let's do, do it, it in the covid times yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. yeah definitely um i don't think that's gonna happen <laughs> that's a shame because that would be really good so what we've learned is the less Rob Zombie in a movie, the more mm-hmm. Jonathan likes it and the less Craig the, likes the, it. The less, I like it. <laughs> the more Rob Zombie there is, the more I like it. The less Rob Zombie there is, the less Jonathan likes the, the Wait, hang on. Ah, <laughs> oh, this is why I can't do maths. Less, more. It feels like he's... I, like, I don't like his films very much, but I do think he's interesting in terms of like where he fits in, in that it, he didn't... He doesn't feel like he comes from anything at that time. At the time, he doesn't feel like he springs up, like comes up with any particular movement, even though he coincided with it. And like he does feel like he's always been, you know, the one that it feels like no one would invite him to the party if they're having like a splat pack party. But <laughs> at the same time, like, and that he would just continue to make he like he's not really slowed down. Like, I think he's, he's slowed down a little bit, but he's still making the same kind of you know he's making his films. I think Lords of Salem is the interesting one because it feels really separate from a lot of his other stuff and then obviously that didn't make any money so he went and made crowdfunded 31 which is yeah which is really interesting because i mean you know i know you'll talk about these at a later date but 31 to me is another misfire because it feels like it's giving the fans what they want rather than what rob zombie wants Mm. Uh, and it's such a fine line because three from hell is arguably also fan service but it feels like it's the fan service Rob Zombie wants to give whereas mm. 31 just feels like right you fuckers hated Lords of Salem which I poured my heart into so here you go here's Nazi dwarves and all yeah it feels like you idiots like this so here you uh, go yeah, yeah it feels really soulless almost spiteful to the audience 31 um and I I, I I don't enjoy that but I thought 
Three from Hell was back to his like full Rob Zombie, and I, I, you know, it's what I love about him is what what you say, like he's the kid who wouldn't be invited to the Splat Pack party, and I, I think we live in an era of so few genuine outsiders because like geek culture, nerd culture, whatever is the mainstream. Uh, it's really hard with you know, the internet and globalization to find something that's truly niche and you know just appeals to people who get it and i don't mean that from a like hipster point of view like oh i'm better than you because i understand it but i just mean like outsider art is something that appeals to people who are in some way broken (laughs) and you know there's a real place for that uh and, and i feel like it's it's missing in in mainstream culture at the moment and rob zombie is one of the last bastions of that that that's still like making stuff for like genuine weirdos uh and i i love him for that he's not gonna make a marvel movie like <laughs> he, I, I i just i yeah I don't, I, I don't think that could ever happen um good <laughs> not should it so if uh if you feel like you would not have been invited to a splat pack party or if you um if you've been to a splat pack party, <laughs> uh, you can have a chat to us on Twitter. We are at Chillennial H Pod, and we will be back fairly soon. And next time, I think we are actually going to tackle the uh, cultural monolith that is Saw. So yes. that will be exciting. <laughs> Thanks so much, CJ and uh, Jonathan, and I will see you next time. Yeah.